Well, would you turn with me to uh, John's Gospel that we read together earlier? And uh, if you like titles for sermons, uh, mine is Increasingly More Precious. Peter, in his first letter in chapter 2, verse 7, says, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. And if the Lord Jesus isn't precious to you this evening, then I would doubt that you've been saved. Because the moment you are saved, the Lord Jesus becomes increasingly precious to you. Because there's no one like him in the whole world. And that's testified too by the dear saints that we read about in the scriptures. But it's also true of men and women today in the 21st century. Whose lives have been changed and transformed by his amazing grace. I love the name of your church. (laughs) It's all of grace, isn't it? And if without grace, where would we be? We'd be lost, and we'd be perishing. And so it's an incredible thing. And I was baptised many years ago, and, and my link with Dre Birch is that he was my pastor's best friend, Colin Bennett. And him and Colin, even Francis, uh, when I was baptised in Frinton, they bought me a book called uh, The True Christian by J.C. Ryle. And in the flyleaf, they put with our love and prayers that the Lord Jesus would become increasingly precious to you. And it's something to be pondered, isn't it? Because when you first become a Christian, everything is new. Particularly like me, you came completely out of the world. Uh, I, I hadn't been to church. I think I'd been to a couple of funerals, maybe a wedding. And then one day somebody invited me to a service and... uh, I heard the gospel and I was saved. And uh, I couldn't believe it, really. <laughs> I don't think many other people could either. <laughs> so uh, that was a bit, it was a surprise. My wife was particularly shocked because <laughs> she thought then that I'd become like her. But then she discovered she wasn't like me at all. And then she was saved a year later. But that's great. And so, how does Jesus? become increasingly more precious to us. Well, John helps us, and the reason why he wrote uh, this lovely gospel, as you know, is he gives us the purpose for the whole book. Now, Jesus did many other signs, chapter 20, verse 30, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, this is the reason, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There's a twofold purpose there, isn't there, really? And the twofold purpose is this. One is to seek and to save lost sinners and to bring them to life. That's the most important thing in the world, really. People are dead in their sins and perishing, and to bring them to life in Christ is the most important thing because their whole eternity depends on that. And I don't know whether you've realised that, how precarious position you're in this evening if you're not saved it's an old fashioned word isn't it but it's it's something that needs to take place in our lives and we can't bring it about ourselves you need to just cast yourself upon the mercy of God and pray knowing that he never turns anyone away and then the second reason is to strengthen and assure those who love the Lord and to build them up in their faith and that they may enjoy They may enjoy Jesus Christ, that he may become precious to them, to us. 
It's about a relationship. And uh, John, in his, in his prologue, these first 18 verses that we read earlier, uh, is enthused. It's not that he's just writing a theological treatise. When you read it, you really get the, to understand John really loved the Lord Jesus. John was captivated by him. John experienced the grace of God in Christ. He, not, he didn't always understand who Jesus was. But when you, when you read uh, his first letter, his second and third letters, you, you come to realise the breadth of knowledge that this man had. And he had that because he desired that above all other things. And I, I wonder as Christian believers, we, we can tend to become stale in our, in our walk with God. Yes, we would say he is exceedingly precious and he is wonderful. But we can go dull, can't we? We hear these things again and again. And this, these first words, I, I, I love uh, classical music. I, I, before I was converted, I, I wasn't keen on it at all. It's quite strange. You know, if you're a new creation in Christ, it does strange things to you. So, so I, I, I didn't think it was really cool to, to like classical music. And I discovered I liked the Hebrides Overture and stuff like that. And I thought, well, you know, Pavarotti and stuff. And, and it's, it's amazing, isn't it? But this is, what, this is what these first 18 verses are like. They're like an overture. And, you know, they, they sweep over you. And you read them. You're not just for information, but so that you may know him who is life eternal. And you know, it's, it's a good thing to, to ponder and meditate upon them. Because in verse 14, which we're going to look at this evening, God became a man while still remaining God. Mm. Now, <laughs> when you think about that, we can become so familiar with it that it can lose its impact upon our lives. There has been no one in the history of this world like the Lord Jesus Christ. He is altogether perfect and marvellous. And the more we know about him, the better it will be. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. We go back to the very first words that John uses in this Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is Jesus? He is God incarnate. And it's very interesting that John uses in the beginning because they're the very first words that we read when we open Genesis in the beginning God and then you know because I, I would have quite liked it in my early days if God had gone on you know in Genesis to have said well this is how I made men and women this is how I, 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 I made the world in which we live but he doesn't does he 
he just tells us that he made the universe out of things that are not seen, things that are invisible. And that's an amazing thing. It's almost to say, in the beginning, God. And it's almost as though the Lord is saying, well, deal with this. I'm not going to do it. I don't, your minds are too small to really comprehend the complexities of creation. But when you look at creation, marvel at it, wonder at it. And then added to that, we read in, in John, verse, John 1 verse 2, he was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. Is it your light this evening? And what we see in these verses is God who was with the Father. God the Son is also our creator. He is life. He is light. It's more than just a religious leader of a, a new movement that came into the world. You know, they talk about comparative religion, don't they? My friends, there's nothing to compare with the Lord Jesus. There's nothing to compare with the Christian faith. How many people do you know, if you go to Muhammad or Buddha or any of the others, or any of the Hindu gods, how, how many can you say, he died, but then he gloriously rose again? He said, I have power to lay down my life and power to take it up again. The beauty and the mystery of the incarnation. This God, God the Word, became man God who is spirit because that's who he is clothed himself put upon assimilated put upon himself human flesh like ours a real man in a real body the conception was miraculous but the birth was a normal birth born a human being like you and me to be our Saviour and our Lord, our great High Priest and our King. The immense, when you think about the immensity of God by His Spirit throughout the universe in which we live, everywhere present by His Spirit, how can you possibly take that in? It goes beyond anything that we can fathom. But our God, as Wesley says, was contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. And that's the saviour that I'm talking to you about this evening, the saviour that reaches out in love to you. He wants you to know and love him. When we sing our last hymn, have you heard the voice of Jesus softly pleading with your heart? How many times has the Lord Jesus pleaded with your heart over the years as you've listened to the word preached faithfully in this chapel? How many times have you sort of put it on the back burner? Maybe you think, well, I'll leave it until I die. I have a good life and I enjoy life. I'll tell you what, you won't have a really good life because you won't find any meaning and purpose until you come to Christ. And you don't see that at the moment because you're in darkness. But when you come into the light, you will see it. And you'll be glaring. You'll be like a rabbit caught in the headlights. And that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? So, he took upon himself the body and soul of a human being why? For love's sake he became poor. Poor. Philippians chapter 2, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped hold of. Became 
obedient to being a servant and dying upon a cross for us. Isn't that incredible? Such love. My friend is, is Jesus. That's, you know, you might be theologically the brightest person in the room. You might know how to pray. You might read your Bible back to front. You may even have memorised the Bible or parts of it. But this is the thing you have to ask yourself this evening. Is the Lord Jesus precious to you? Because if he isn't, then you need to ask serious questions of your own life. How precious is Jesus to you? I'll leave you to think about that. And then in this verse it says, And he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The word is connected with, with tent or tabernacle. You know when you read the book of Exodus that Moses was told as they went through the wilderness to build a tabernacle but it had to be an exact pattern and Hebrews explains why that is so we won't go there this evening but then the glory of the Lord the Shekinah glory came upon the mercy seat and, and when Moses went into the presence of the Lord he came out and his face was radiant and, and then you get to the temple being built in Jerusalem isn't amazing the, the inauguration of the temple and Solomon prays that wonderful prayer and uh, the priests are ministering and, and every, all of Israel are gathered before the Lord and then the Lord comes and <laughs> the priests have to retire wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if that happened tonight the, the Holy Spirit came with such power and effulgence that there was nothing more to say because nothing would need to be said. Because everything would be perspicuous. Everything would be made clear in our hearts and in minds. And we would know him who is life eternal. Incredible. And it here is, is, is a foretaste. The tabernacle and temple is just a foretaste. Because John says later on in the testimony of John the Baptist that this was just to indicate that God was going to take up residence in a human temple the Lord Jesus Christ filled with the spirit beyond all capacity beyond measure like a like a river flowing to the sea that never em empties and never ends just so full of God and you say so what what, what? yeah that's great to know he's a wonderful man and that's a wonderful thing to hear this evening but so what so what? Goodness me. God, coming to dwell in Christ, paved the way for God coming to dwell in us. And that's it, isn't it? We read in the New Testament that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, as he is a temple of the Holy Spirit. If we're in Christ, we're new creations, the old has gone, the new has come, and, and, and we are indwelt by the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So what? Well, you can't get better than that, can you? Oh, yeah, you know, go and, go and ponder your navel and, and, you know, empty your mind. But I tell you what, you should fill your mind and your spirit with Jesus Christ. Because that he is the only one that will save you. And no other religion in the world has an answer to this big question. What about your sin? Where, where can you take your sin and find full forgiveness? Oh, you say I'm going to cobble together a few good works. I'm a good person, really, and, you know, won't do, will it? 
No. Only one is righteous enough to enable us to stand before God and clothed in his righteousness. But this is the whole point, isn't it? This temple, this man that walked the earth, was taken to a cross and crucified. He had power to lay down his life, but he also had power to take it up again. And when he had taken it up again, he ascended into heaven to be our great high priest. But this is, is the, the, the glorious thing. This is, this is my hope. Is it your hope? That because Jesus Christ died and rose again, because I'm in him, my living head, and clothed with righteousness divine, one day, this little body of mine will end up in the dust somehow. I'll die. And that doesn't bother me too much. Well, a little bit, I suppose. <laughs> there were things that I'd miss in this life. But on the other hand, I think to myself, I know where I'm going. Amen. Because I know in whom I've believed. And I'm persuaded that when my body, whatever happens to it, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, this body, this tent that I live in at the moment, I will evacuate for a little while, absent from the body, present with the Lord in glory. And then, then when, my, when he returns, my spirit and my body are going to be reunited. You can't, you can't get better than that, can you? it's just so marvellous isn't it it's the most wonderful truth in the whole world the resurrection life uncorrupted glorified lives in God's presence forever no pain, no sorrow, no sin but what if you're outside of Christ dear friend you'll be raised corruptible face the judgement for your unforgiven sins experience the second death and be banished in hell cut off from God eternally and uh, that's not something you know to, to think about and it's a horrible <laughs> thought because you know when you read Psalm 1 not so the wicked they are like the chaff that the wind blows away therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous but the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And I've been going through that recently, and I, I, I think to myself, well, who are the wicked? Who are the lawless? You know what? They're my next-door neighbour. They're some of my family. They're people I love. They're people I desire to see saved. But unless they're changed, unless, unless God is gracious to them, unless they open their hearts to Christ, they're going to be damned eternally. That doesn't fill me with any glee. And I, and I, 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 it's just something that you have to mention, isn't it? Because it's life or death. And, and as he can say, choose life. Why would you choose death? Mm. And why should we believe that Christ is willing or able to save us? That the Father loves us so much that he doesn't want us to perish, but to come to a knowledge of the truth. Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. He laid my sin and your sin upon him, on, on the Lord Jesus. Why? So that we could become the righteousness of God. So that we could be acceptable in his sight. The dividing wall of hostility. John's testimony is an eyewitness account Look at verse 14 again. 
And we have seen his glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. They saw his glory. Unlike Moses, it was concealed, but then it was revealed at times. The fullness of God in bodily form, the miracles, the kindness, the compassion, the care, the holiness, the integrity, the righteousness. Read your Bible. Read your Bible and read about these wonderful people that Jesus encountered. Little Zacchaeus. Everybody hated Zacchaeus. Tax collector. Uh, basically, first century scumbag, really, wasn't he? Everybody, nobody liked Zacchaeus. And, and yet the Lord Jesus loved the man. The woman at Simon's house. Simon says, what? How can this man be a prophet when he's allowing this prostitute to, to, to wipe his feet with her hair? How can he, how can he not feel so content? I'm surprised that we even let this woman in the door. How did she get in? And there she is taking up his time. If he was really the saviour, he would understand he'd turn away from her and he'd reject her, as we would, as Pharisees. The Lord Jesus came to seek that and save that which was lost. And thank goodness we've got stories like that because the worst offender who truly believes that moment of pardon receives. Mm-hmm. That's the truth of the gospel, isn't it? It's a wonderful message. So our dear Lord Jesus, his integrity, his holiness, his righteousness, his wisdom, his beauty, he lived for the glory of God, his Father, which we can never do perfectly. He did it perfectly. Something else, he was full of grace. Our dear Lord was the light of the world who lit up the room when he went amongst people. Tax collectors and sinners flocked to hear him because he, although in one sense he condemned them, and it's good to be convicted about our sin, but in another sense, they knew that they would get a welcome. Jesus came into contact with ordinary people. What is marvellous we can come into contact with him ourselves. John, who is captivated by the love of Christ, is not just someone in a book that we're reading about. It's something, a relationship that you can have with the Lord. And that relationship can be as deep or as shallow as you want it to be, really. But you desire it by wanting the Lord Jesus to become exceedingly precious. Well, the second thing this evening is God proclaimed. Something to shout about. I'll be very brief on this one. And John the Baptist, already mentioned in verse 6, adds extra weight to the testimony so that all who hear it may believe and be saved. This is what he says. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. This is an amazing man. He is my favourite preacher in the whole world. Why is he my favourite preacher? Because he says, I must become less and he must increase. And that, that is the most wonderful thing. When he had crowds following him, when he, his popularity was at his height, he didn't say, well, oh, all well, the crowds are deserting me. He actually said to those close to him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You must follow him. I must, he must increase that I must decrease. And that is how we should be as Christian believers. 
in our testimony, in the, in the things that we do in our lives. Not that, you know, people say, oh, isn't, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he a marvellous fellow? Isn't she wonderful? Isn't she marvellous? No, it, it's Christ is marvellous. And that will shine through us in a sense of humility. You know, he, this is the man that when he was in his mother Elizabeth's womb, at the, at the sound of Mary arriving, he leapt in the womb. Incredible, isn't it? And he's, a, he's just an amazing man. But this is the, the man who said, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. I hope over the years that you've listened to his messages and that those messages from really good men have touched your heart and prepared a way to come to faith, even to Christ tonight. And John testifies, doesn't he, of grace overflowing into our lives. And, you know, this is, this is the amazing thing. He's greater than me because he was before me. Now, this is incredible, really, when you think about it. The disciples at this point hadn't grasped this at all. They just thought he was a prophet sent by God, and he, which he was, but more than a prophet. And John testifies, and he says, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And Moses was a great and godly man. Could only give us the law he received from God. And if you read your New Testament rightly, you will find that there is a contrast here. Romans 3.20 and uh, Galatians 2.16 The law, holy and good, cannot save. What does it do, my friend? If you read it rightly, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and to love your neighbours yourself, then you know that no matter how nice a person, and I, I know you're all nice people here, but actually Heath is a posh part of London, isn't it? <laughs> so, so I know you're all really lovely people. You've got lovely neighbours and you're all happy. And, but this is the thing. Do you, if, could you ever, you know, but, oh, you know, somebody can even volunteer to put their hand up, you know. I have loved God with all my heart, with all my strength and my, all my soul. Faultless. 100% record. I, I, I really don't ever think of myself. I never say a bad word about anyone. I just think of others. I love them so much, more than I love myself. And the only person that could actually say that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the law came through Moses. But the law points us to Christ, who alone can save us. Contrast the law, which is powerless, although it's good and it's holy and it's pure and it's God's law. But contrast that to Jesus Christ, who saves to the uttermost all who come to him. And that's the great thing, to the uttermost. Not just a little bit. He's not interested, well he might be interested in changing you a little tiny bit oh uh, I'll stop watching this I'll stop drinking I'll stop doing drugs I, you know, I mean I know you don't do drugs here but you know, all, all the other stuff that, that goes on in people's lives these days the, the stuff, that, that you know the moral pollution that we're immersed in day after day that we can't do anything about really but you know He's not talking here about moral reformation, enabling you to be a nicer neighbour or a kinder person. He's talking about being a new creation. That's, only Christ can do that. His power to save. 
because he is God. And if you haven't already come, will you not come to him now? Thirdly and finally, another reason why you should receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and this is, I will be brief. Reminded me of a story of a Romanian pastor who took out his watch and put it on the pulpit, and a little boy at the back of the church said, uh, what does that mean? You know, some profound thing that's happened. And his mother said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing. <laughs> so what we read here in verse 18 no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the Father's side he has made him known I struggled with this verse for a long time no one has ever seen God well you have to say what does it not mean well Adam and Eve in some form saw God because God we read walked in the garden in the cool of the day now, whether he was unseen because they just felt his presence, but then when we come to people like Abraham, Abraham at the trees of Mamre and the three visitors that he received, and one was definitely God, and then when you get to Moses and the elders of Israel, and they... Numbers tells us that in verse 11 that the 70 elders beheld God and ate and drank in his presence. So it doesn't mean that God has not appeared to people. As Moses was hidden in a rock. You know that hymn that we sing, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And it's the picture of Moses desiring to see the glory of God, God in all his fullness. And the Lord says, you're not able to, Moses. You're human, you're fallible, and you're not able to do that. But what I will do, I will put you in a rock, and I will pass by and proclaim my glory to you. And so what Moses saw was very, very minuscule in compared with what the disciples saw when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ in all his effulgence glory. <coughs> Moses hidden in a rock. Only Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, has seen God in all his fullness. Look at the last piece of that verse. Who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The picture here is of one of deep tenderness. The Son reclining, as the authorised version says, on the bosom of the Father. It's very similar to what John experienced when he was at the Last Supper. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of real tenderness and, a, and affection. But as we know, uh, God is pure and perfect spirit. Uh, and so this truth is expressed anthropomorphically to us. It, it's expressed because God has no bodily parts, but so we can understand what the writer, what John is saying to us in this verse is that Jesus reclines close to the heart of God that no one else has ever done. He knows fully the mind of God, the heart of God, the will of God, because he is God. He is one with God, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his power. And so, because he is one with him, 
Only he can make us right with God. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven amongst men by which we must be saved. And those lovely verses that John uses, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then you all know, because you've been to Sunday school, I didn't go to Sunday school so I had to learn it, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish. And that's the whole point, isn't it? That John has written this so that no one may perish. That's a wonderful truth. Mm. Is Jesus more precious to you now? He became increasingly more precious to you. He will become increasingly more precious to you as you live your life in his presence. Speaking of Christ, the cornerstone, the cornerstone which is there that shapes the whole church structure, living stones, not, a, not an actual building, but a, a temple raised up for God with men and women filled by the Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the cornerstone that, that determines the shape of the building. And speaking of Christ the cornerstone, Peter says, Therefore,